Khalil's Prayers The Holy Quran alludes to the construction of this house in the following word. Surely, the first house founded for mankind, for the benefit of mankind and God's worship, is that in the valley of Becca, abounding in blessings and a guidance for all peoples yet to come. And remember the time when Abraham and Ishmael raised the foundations of the house, praying, Our Lord, accept this from us, for Thou art all-hearing, all-knowing. Our Lord, make us submissive to Thee, and make of our offspring a people submissive to Thee, and show us the ways of Hajj and worship, and turn to us with mercy, for Thou art oft-returning with compassion, and art merciful. And our Lord, raise among us them a messenger from among themselves, who may recite to them thy signs and teach them the book and wisdom and may purify them. Surely thou art the mighty, the wise. The divine mission of the Holy Prophet was a result of this compassionate prayer. Hence, the Holy Prophet would say, I am but a fruit of the prayer of Abraham. Announcement of Hajj when the construction of the Kaaba was complete, Abraham was instructed by God the Almighty. And keep my house clean for those who perform the circuits and those who stand up and those who bow down and fall prostrate in prayers and proclaim unto mankind that they come for the pilgrimage. They shall come to thee on foot and on every lean camel. In other words, upon camels who have traveled long distances, coming by every distant track. This proclamation is the basis upon which the Kaabatullah became a center. We clearly see that after this, the Kaaba quickly became the religious center of the Arabs, and people began to flock to it from far-off places in Arabia. Custodianship of the Kaaba it has already been mentioned that the first tribe to settle in Mecca was the Jarhumatania. The daughter of this clan's chieftain named Madad bin Amr was married to Ishmael, and twelve sons were born to this wedlock. Among these children, the eldest was Nabiath, and the next was Kedar. The people of Arabia are primarily the children of Kedar, son of Ishmael, and the Quraysh are also his descendants. As long as Ishmael was alive, it was he who supervised the Kaaba, but after his death, the eldest of his sons became his custodian. After his death, the custodianship of the Kaaba was entrusted to his maternal grandfather, Madad bin Amr, and for an extended period in time, it remained with the tribe of Jarhum. However, after the passing of an extended period in time, a branch of the Banu Qatan, the tribe of Huza, gained supremacy over the Jurham and snatched the custodianship of the Kaaba from them. The tribe of Jurham was deeply grieved on account of their exile from Mecca and emigrated to Yemen. However, prior to departing from Mecca, their chieftain, Amr bin al-Harith, buried his national wealth in the fountain of Zamzam and sealed its opening. In this manner, when the tribe of Kuza entered Mecca, this sacred water spring had vanished, and it remained sealed for hundreds of years until finally, Hazrat Abdul Mutlib, the paternal grandfather of the Holy Prophet وسلم, located it and once again caused it to gush forth of water. In any case, after the Jurham, the Kuza became the rulers of Mecca and the custodians of the Kaaba. The dawn of idolatry in the Kaaba is attributed to Amr bin Luhay, a chieftain of the Khuzah.
Upon his observance of idol worship in Syria, his desire was that idols should be placed in the Kaaba as well, and that people should worship them. Therefore, he brought some idols from Syria and placed them in the close proximity of the Kaaba. Since the Kaaba had become the religious center of Arabia by that time, and every year people would gather there for Hajj, idolatry rampantly spread throughout the country. This is not to imply that idolatry was not at all practiced in Arabia prior to this. Rather, the purpose is to merely establish the fact that the arrival of idols in the Kaaba was a major cause in the spread and establishment of idolatry throughout Arabia. Therefore, gradually the idols of Nakama alone reached a total of 360. After a prolonged period in time, the custodianship of the Kaaba escaped the hands of the Kuza as well. In elaboration of the cause of this occurrence, historians have narrated a strange tale, the mention of which shall prove interesting here. In the middle of the 5th century AD, there was a man named Kosai bin Khilab, who was among the descendants of Fihir bin Malik, or in other words, the Quraysh. He was a very wise and intelligent individual. During the days of his youth, it was his heartfelt desire that the rule of Makkah and custodianship of the Kaaba is the inheritance of the children of Ishmael, and it should not remain in the hands of any other nation. Hence, he came to Makkah and gradually began to develop friendships, after which he married Huba, the daughter of Halil bin Habishia Khuzai, who was the chieftain of the Khuza. At that time, it was he who possessed the custodianship of the Kaaba. At his deathbed, Halil bequeathed the custodianship of the Kaaba to his daughter Huba, the wife of Kusay. In this manner, the custodianship of the Kaaba practically came into the hands of Kusay, but his heart was not content as a mere authority. Rather, he wished to become the rightful ruler of Makkah and the custodian of the Kaaba. Therefore, gradually he began to establish his claim of entitlement. When the Kusay began to realize this, they were outraged and prepared for battle. On the other hand, Kosei also gathered his own people, and both these tribes fought in a vehement battle. Eventually, both tribes were reconciled on the foundation that an arbitrator be appointed, whose verdict shall be accepted by both parties. Thus, a man named Amr bin Auf was appointed as an arbitrator, whose judgment was that in actuality, the custodianship of the Kaaba rightfully belongs to Kusay, and that the Kuza shall not receive blood money for any of its slain men, but compensation for Kusay's slain men shall be paid by the Kuza. In this this manner, after a prolonged period in time and custodianship of the Kaaba, was once again returned to the Banu Ismail. Since the custodianship of the Kaaba was also a means of worldly grandeur and power, the custodian tribe was looked upon with special honor and veneration in all of Arabia. It is for this reason that the Quraysh became very dignified and honored. Repeated Reconstruction of the Kaaba The phenomenon of deterioration is naturally attached to every worldly object. Therefore, after its construction by Abraham, the Kaaba fell many times and was thus rebuilt many times as well. Sometimes its structure would be damaged by the floods that would occasionally strike the valley of Makkah. In this case, its custodians would demolish the Kaaba and reconstruct it anew. In certain cases, this was also required due to fires or other natural disasters. Therefore, every nation who was entrusted as custodianship was required to reconstruct the Kaaba as needed.
the Banu Jurham, Khuza, and the Quraysh, all in their respective eras reconstructed the Kaaba. Once, Qusay also rebuilt the Kaaba, after which the Quraysh also reconstructed it in the time of the Holy Prophet with certain modifications. They increased its level of elevation and also added a roof with six internal pillars along with a skylight on the roof. They also elevated its door as well. However, due to a scarcity of materials, they were unable to erect the Kaaba upon its original foundations as laid by Abraham. As a matter of fact, they left an empty space of about 3.5 yards to one side. This empty space is known as the Hatim or Hijr, and the Holy Prophet ﷺ declared it part of the Kaaba. Hence, during a tawaf, it is necessary to pass around this portion as well. Once the Holy Prophet said to Hazrat Aisha, the Hatim is a part of the Kaaba and the Quraysh left it out due to a lack of funds. They elevated the door of the Kaaba so that they could allow access to whoever they please and deny access to whoever they please. O oh Aisha, had your nation not recently accepted Islam and had I not been troubled by the wavering of their faith, I would have demolished the structure built by them and would have rebuilt the entire structure upon the original foundations laid by Abraham. I would have included the Hatim within it and would have lowered its door, and I would have built another door to the opposite of this door. Therefore, in 64 AH, when due to some reason, the structure of the Kaaba was damaged, Abdullah bin Zubair, who was the governor of Makkah at the time, fulfilled this desire of the Holy Prophet and he built only three pillars within the Kaaba instead of six pillars. However, when Abdul Malik gained control of Makkah, perhaps with the intention that if the Holy Prophet ﷺ did not perform this alteration, no one else possesses the right to do so either, ordered Hajjaj bin Yusuf to demolish the building erected by Abdullah bin Zubair and reconstruct it upon the pattern, as was during the time of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Thus, Hajjaj did as he was instructed, but the modification of the three pillars remained unaltered. Kiswat i Kaaba Initially, there was no covering on the Kaaba, but later a king of Yemen named Tuba Asid saw in a dream that he was covering the Kaaba with a drape. Hence, he had the Kaaba covered by a drape. After this, the tradition of covering the Kaaba became a common custom. Therefore, the Quraysh would always place a drape over the Kaaba. This tradition was upheld in Islam as well. Even today, every year a new and precious drape is formally placed upon the Kaaba, and the old one is removed and is either distributed among the pilgrims or is sold. Today, the drape placed upon the Kaaba is of a black color, upon which the Kalma is written in various places as well as an assortment of Quranic verses. Sanctity of the Kaaba in the time of the Jahaliyyah, the Arabs held the Kaaba in greater reverence than perhaps the Muslims of today. It was because the Arabs viewed the Kaaba as a deity to be worshipped and would offer oblations to it. These offerings would be stored in underground treasury and would be utilized for the requirements of its worshippers and pilgrims. The Kaaba in itself was of course sacred. But through it, not only Makkah, but its surrounding regions were also declared a haram, where all kinds of violence and bloodshed was prohibited. 
The significance of the Ashur e Haram was also due to the Gaba, so that pilgrims could travel to and fro for the Hajj in complete peace without any fear or danger. It was also a custom that to express the particular sanctity of something, it would be hung to the Gaba. Therefore, seven renowned poems of the Jahaliya are called the Sabah Mu'alaka because they were hung on the Kaaba. Residential Construction in the Vicinity of the Kaaba At this point, it will be appropriate to mention that until the time of Qusay, not a single nation had built homes in the vicinity of the Kaaba. As a matter of fact, they resided in temporary homes and pavilions situated at some distance. However, upon Kosai's encouragement, the Quraysh constructed homes in the surrounding perimeter of the Kaaba and Makkah became a proper city. However, these homes were not adjoined to the Kaaba. Rather, in order to facilitate the Tawaf of pilgrims, a vast area was left to all four sides of the Kaaba. This open space was as if the courtyard of the masjid Ihram. During the era of the Khulafa Rashidin, this area was deemed narrow and restricted in space. Thus, the courtyard of the Masjid Ihram was expanded by demolishing the homes in its immediate proximity. A map depicting the current state of the Kaaba and Masjid Ihram is shown on page 109. The Quraysh. The Quraysh is a tribe in which the Holy Prophet ﷺ was born and which was settled in Makkah during that era. Based on the unanimous narrations of the Arabs, this tribe was from the descendants of Ishmael and was a branch of the tribes of Adnan. Varied nations exist with relevance to the founder of the Quraysh. In some narrations, Nadir bin Kinana has been declared its founder and others confirm. Fihir bin Malik as its founder. However, this discrepancy does not pragmatically affect historical accounts in any way. The reason being that Nadir bin Kinana had no sons except Malik bin Nadir, through which his lineage could continue. In the same manner, Malik, with the exception of Fihir bin Malik, had no sons. In other words, the genealogical line of Nadir is ultimately the same as that of Fihir. There's also disagreement in the etymological reasoning behind the name of the Quraysh. Some believe that the tribe was given the name of the Quraysh in resemblance of a fish, which is exceedingly large in size and consumes the rest of the fish around it, and it is called Quraysh in the Arabic language. It was also as if this word alluded to the strength and power of the Quraysh. However, another party believes that when Qusay gathered the various branches of this tribe and settled them in Mecca in order to acquire the custodianship of the Kaaba, it was at that time that they were identified as Quraysh. The reason being that in the Arabic language, one root meaning of the word Quraysh is also to gather. The Internal Branches of the Quraysh in the time of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the Quraysh had been divided into many tribes. Sometimes they would fall into conflict as well, but misfortune, a formal warfare never rose. Among these tribes, the genealogical tree of some clans and renowned individuals has been presented below. In the following tree, the names accompanied by the word Banu refer to the names of individuals to which the renowned clans of the Quraysh were attributed during the time of the Holy Prophet Those 
with which this word has not been written are merely the names of prominent individuals. Names written within a, a lined border are the noteworthy individuals of the time of the Holy Prophet. The names of the Muslims have been displayed in a circle, and the names of the disbelievers are in a square outline. Since every name has not been shown on this tree, names written on the same line should not be misconceived as children of the same mother and father. In fact, the intention is merely to imply that they all belong to the same tribe. See page 112, 113 as well. In this tree, it may seem as if certain individuals have no tribes attributed to them, although they possessed a notable fame among the Quraysh. The reason is that it was a custom among the tribes of Arabia that until the children of one person remained in alliance and unity, they would be attributed to a common forefather. However, when enmity and conflict spurred among them, divided parties disliked being attributed to the same ancestor. Instead, every tribe would identify itself with any other eminent individual under that same ancestor. It is for this very reason that we find that none of the children of Qusay are attributed to him. Rather, some of them became the Banu Hashim, others the Banu Umayyah, still others the Banu Abdidar, etc., though none of them was as renowned as Qusay himself. Qusay bin Khilab. In their times, Nadir bin Kinana and Fihr bin Malik were two very eminent and influential individuals. After them, in the 5th century AD, approximately 100 to 150 years prior to the Holy Prophet, Qusay bin Qilab acquired much authority within the Quraysh. This man possessed extraordinary abilities. His strategic plan to take custodianship of the Kaaba away from the Banu Quzah has already been mentioned, and has also been stated that the Qusay gathered all of the tribes of the Quraysh and settled them in Mecca. It is for this reason that he has received the appellation of Mujami, which means the one who gathers. However, Kosai's work does not end here. As a matter of fact, he organized his nation formally and established the foundation of a democratic sovereignty in Mecca, the details of which are that Kosai distributed the duties pertinent to the custodianship of the Gaba, as well as other administrative tasks of the Quraysh, into various segments and delegated the fulfillment of these various responsibilities to the chieftains of the various tribes of the Quraysh. Division of Offices in the Custodianship of the Kaaba Under this administration, the following tasks of the custodianship of the Kaaba were ordained. Sikaya, in other words, the arrangement of water for pilgrims during the days of Hajj. Since there was a scarcity of water in Mecca due to the fact that the fountain of Zamzam had been lost for a long period in time, even if the mountain had been present, this task would have required a specially organized system of functionality. Due to the unusual number of people present on the occasion of Hajj, during the time of the Holy Prophet, this work was delegated to the Banu Hashim and was assigned to Abbas bin Abdul Mutlib. Number two, Rifada. In other words, to provide for poor pilgrims during the days of Hajj. For this purpose, charity was collected every year among the Quraysh. During the time of the Holy Prophet, this work was delegated to the Banu Naufal and Harith bin Amir was directly responsible. Number three, Hijaba. In other words, the security and key bearing of the Kaaba. During the time of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, this work was assigned to the Banu Abdid Dar and Usman bin Talha. 
was appointed. During his lifetime, Gosai supervised these three tasks himself. Division of Tribal Administration The division of the common administrative duties of the Quraysh was as follows. Number one, Uqab. In other words, the duty of flag-bearing during times of war. This task was also under Qusay during his lifetime. It was later delegated to the Banu Abdiddar. During the time of the Holy Prophet, this task was assigned to Talha bin Abi Talha. Another name for this duty was Liva. Number two, Qayyada. In other words, the duty of command during wars and in caravans. During the time of the Holy Prophet, this task was delegated to Abu Sufyan of the Banu Umayyah. Number three, Sifarat. In other words, the duty of communicating with other tribes or sovereignties as an ambassador. During the time of the Holy Prophet, this task was delegated to Hazrat Umar of the Banu Adi. Number four, Diyat and Magarim. In other words, the duty of passing judgments with relevance to blood money in the event of mutual conflicts and violence. This task was assigned to Hazrat Abu Bakr of the Banu Taim. Number five, Kuba. In other words, the command of cavalry and the setup of the camp. This task was assigned to Walid bin Mughira of the Banu Makhzum. Number six, Islam. In other words, administrating the system of divining arrows. This work was delegated to Sifwan bin Umayyah of the Banu Jum. Number seven, Mashawra. In other words, the administrating of mutual consultation between all the tribes in matters of great significance. This work was delegated to the Banu Asid. And during the time of the Holy Prophet it was assigned to Yazid bin Rabia al-Aswad. Number eight, Kada. In other words, to pass verdicts in the matter of various legal cases. This work was delegated to Harith bin Qais of the Banu Sam, etc. Darun Nadwa. Kusay also established a Darun Nadwa near the Kaaba where the Quraysh would perform their national duties, and it was here where the chieftains of the Quraysh would gather for mutual consultation. This was as if the council hall of the Quraysh. Prior to the migration of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, it was the Darun Nadwa where the chieftains of the Quraysh unanimously agreed to murder him. In order to participate in the consultations of the Darun Nadwa, it was a condition that the age of a participant must not be less than 40 years. The Quraysh would gather here at the occasion of marriage ceremonies as well, and it was here that the traditions and rituals were performed. If they were to leave for a war campaign or mercantile expedition, all would gather at the Daro Nedwa and then depart from here. During his lifetime, the administration of the Daro Nedwa was under the control of Qusay. The extraordinary achievements of Qusay brought him eminence throughout Arabia. It was almost as if he was the king of the Quraysh. However, on account of this self-governing administration, one should not fall victim to the misconception that there was a formal government or ruling power within the Quraysh, or that there was a particular regulation upon people's freedom. Rather, this administration was established in order to facilitate the resolution of significant national affairs with efficiency and ease. 
Moreover, it is not necessary that the elaborate distribution of these responsibilities were entirely conducted at the hand of Kosai. To be more precise, it is very possible that perhaps a certain branch was in place prior to him and some were established as so required. In any case, the principal markings were laid out at the hand of Kosai. Abdul Manif Kusai had four sons, Abdul Dar, Abdul Uzza, Abdul Manaf, and Abdul Kusai. Since Abdul Dar was the eldest upon his deathbed, Kusai entrusted the entirety of his responsibilities, namely the three offices in the custodianship of the Kaaba. However, Abdul Dar was not a man of his father's ability and intelligence. Therefore, Abdul Manaf, who was a very intelligent and able man, acquired the common rule of the Quraysh. Abdul Manaf had four sons, Abdul Shams, Mutlib, Hashim, and Naufal. All four of them inherited the abilities of their father. As such, succeeding the death of Abdul Manif, they collectively sought to take away the custodianship of the Kaaba from the children of Abdul Dar, upon which both parties fell into mutual dissension. Some of the tribes of the Quraysh took one side while the others took another. All were at the brink of war, but ultimately decision was made in peace and harmony. The two offices of Rifada and Sekaya were given to the Abdu Manif, and the remaining three, in other words, the administration of Darun Nadwa, Liva, and Hijaba, remain with Abdul Dar. After mutual consultation, the Abdu Manaf made Hashim the custodian of the tasks of Sakaya and Rifada. Hashim. Hashim was an exceedingly able, understanding, and generous man. He provided pilgrims with much comfort and made vigorous appeals during the Quraysh in order to fulfill their various requirements. During his time, there was a severe famine, and he provided for many poor people at his own expense. Due to these acts of munificence, Hashim's name received great eminence. In addition to this, Hashim personally approached the sovereignties of Rome and Ghassan, to acquire formal rights for the mercantile caravans of the Quraysh. Similarly, Hashim's other brothers, more or less, offered services of the same kind. Therefore, the passage of Quraysh mercantile caravans between Syria and Yemen commenced in the time of Hashim. Generally, mercantile caravans traveled to Yemen during the winter season and towards Syria in the summer season. Umayyah's Rivalry Upon witnessing Hashim's success, his nephew Umayyah bin Abdi Shams began to harbor feelings of jealousy. He tried to compete with Hashim and strive to develop a name through his acts of generosity among the people, but failed miserably. On the contrary, he became the target of mockery among the Quraysh. Ultimately, Umayyah had became so enraged that he openly challenged Hashim to compete with him. At first, Hashim ignored it, but the Quraysh, who always remained eager to witness such spectacles, urged Hashim to accept the challenge. The condition set was that as an arbitrator would pass a verdict as to their greatness, and the one who loses would give the winner 50 camels and face an exile of 10 years from Mecca. Thus, a soothsayer from the Khuzah was appointed as an arbitrator. He uttered a few statements in a soothsaying tongue, and passed a verdict in favor of Hashim. Therefore, Umayyah gave Hashim 50 camels and left Mecca. He wandered Syria and other areas for 10 years. 
Historians write that this was the first enmity and rivalry which spurred between the Banu Hashim and Banu Umayya. After Hashim, Abdul Mutlib bin Hashim, also with full vigor, kept the Banu Hashim above the Banu Umayya. However, after the demise of Abdul Mutlib among Hashim's grandson, no man of such influence came forward. And thus, the Banu Humayya gradually gathered strength and Hashim's family fell into a state of poverty weakened. Once Hashim traveled to Syria for the purpose of business and trade, en route he stopped at Yathrib, also known as Medina. There, Hashim married a girl named Salma, who belonged to the Banu Najr, which was a branch of the Khazraj. He had a son from Salma in Medina, who was named Shaiba. Mutlib After some time, Hashim passed away during travel. At the time of his death, he had four sons, Abu Saifi, Asid, Fadla, and Shaiba. Since all of them were young of age, and due to the fact that Shaiba was in Medina, Hashim's elder brother Mutlib took over his place after his death. In other words, the responsibilities of Sikaya and Rifada were entrusted to Mutlib. When Mutlib was informed of his nephew Shaiba bin Hashim's intelligence and ingenuity, he immediately set out to Medina and brought Shaiba with him. When uncle and nephew both entered Mecca, the people thought that perhaps Mutlib had brought a slave boy with him. For this reason, Shaiba became renowned as Abdul Mutlib, meaning the slave of Mutlib. This is the same Abdul Mutlib, who was a grandfather of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, and in whose care the Prophet spent the first eight years of his life. Abdul Mutlib. The position of Mutlib was merely that of a guardian. Therefore, the offices in his custodianship, which belonged to the Abdu-Manaf dynasty, were transferred to Abdul Mutlib because he was the most intelligent of his brothers. Abdul Mutlib was an exceedingly wise and gifted individual. At that time, he was a young man and he had spent a portion of his life outside. So he was compelled to confront many difficulties initially in order to protect his position. Therefore, first of all, his uncle named Nafal bin Abi Manaf quarreled with him over the issue of Abdul Mutlib's inheritance. Abdul Mutlib appealed to the Quraysh, but they refused to interfere in this issue. Upon this, Abdul Mutlib sent word to his maternal family, the Banu Najr, saying, My uncle unjustly interferes with my inheritance. Immediately, 80 brave men reached Mecca to the assistance of their grandson. When these people reached Mecca, Nafal was sitting in the Kaaba with some men. As soon as they reached there, they immediately asserted, Give our grandson, Shaiba bin Hashim, all of his inheritance, or the outcome shall be unpleasant. Nafal became frightened and retracted his intruding hand. Mention of the conflict between the Banu Abdi Shams and Banu Hashim has already been mentioned. Now relations with the Banu Nafal also turned bitter. In other words, among the remaining sons of Abdu Manaf bin Kusi, only the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib maintained good relations. In this manner, the dynasty was divided into two parties. To one side were the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib, and to the other were the Banu Nafal and Banu Abdi Shams. This party alliance was influential to the extent that when the Banu Hashim and other Muslims were besieged in the valley of Abu Talib by the infidels of Mecca, even then the Banu Mutlib stood by the Banu Hashim and remained separated from the rest of the Quraysh. However, the Banu Nafal and Banu Abdi Shams allied with the infidels and opposed the Banu Hashim.
The kind conduct demonstrated by Mutlib towards Abdul Mutlib was also a means of strengthening relations of friendship between the Banu Mutlib and Banu Hashim. Thus, the Banu Mutlib and Banu Hashim always remained together as one. It was due to this relationship of unity that the Holy Prophet ﷺ would always separate a portion of for the Banu Mutlib along with the Banu Hashim from the divisions of Khumas. In other words, the one-fifth portion of the spoils of war, which was separated for the cause of Allah, His Prophet, the close relatives of the Prophet, and other common Islamic requirements. When the Banu Nafal and Banu Abdi Shams, on account of their equivalent relationship to the Holy Prophet, requested that they also be given a portion from the Khumas in the similitude of the Banu Mutlib, he refused and said, the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib are one. Search for the Fountain of Zamzam The Fountain of Zamzam, which was the fundamental cause for the inhabitation of Mecca, had been sealed and lost for centuries. When the responsibility of Sikayatul Hajj came into the hands of Abdul Mutlib, he began to search and locate that lost water spring on the basis of a dream. Therefore, he and his son Hadith occupied themselves in its search. However, none among the Quraysh assisted the Banu Hashim. Quite the contrary, some even ridiculed father and son. At that time, whilst feeling shame and indignation at his weakness, overcome by emotions, Abdul Mutlib vowed if God blessed him with ten sons, and all of them reached adulthood before his eyes, he would sacrifice one of them in the way of God. After the labor of some time, Abdul Mutlib was able to locate the site of Zamzam. Upon digging that site, the old spring once again gushed forth. Along with this, the treasure which was buried by the Jurham tribe upon their departure from Makkah was also discovered. This unexpected occurrence fully established Abdul Mutlib's authority over the Quraysh. Although they attempted to contest Abdul Mutlib in this newly found treasure, ultimately they were silenced in all. Gradually, they began to acknowledge this greatness. Ultimately, Abdul Mutlib was regarded by the Quraysh as an exceedingly venerable leader. Har bin Umayyah, the father of Abu Sufyan, was a very close friend of Abdul Mutlib, but the success of Abdul Mutlib ignited the fiery spark of jealousy in his heart as well. In the likeness of his father, he also attempted to contest the Banu Hashim but failed. After this display of detestation, Abdul Mutlib's sitting remained with Abdullah bin Jadan Taimi, who was a chieftain of noble character. Abdullah after the instance of the fountain of Zamzam, Abdul Mutlib became very influential and by the decree of God, his children also began to flourish until their number reached ten at last. When these children reached adulthood, at the time before the fulfillment of his vow had arrived, Abdul Mutlib started towards the Kaaba with all of his sons and conducted a draw of ballots before Hubal. By the decree of God, the drawn ballot was of his youngest son, Abdullah who was most dear to Abdul Mutlib. At that time, Abdul Mutlib's state was completely inexplicable, but Abdul Mutlib was a man of his word, and he was to fulfill his vow in any case. Therefore, he set out to sacrifice Abdullah, and along with his father, Abdullah bowed his head in complete submission and left with his father. 
When the chieftains of the Quraysh received news, they prohibited Abdul Mutlib from doing so. In the end, upon the advice of an acquaintance, it was settled that ten camels would be wagered in a ballot against Abdullah. And if the ballot of the camels was drawn in place of Abdullah, ten camels would be sacrificed, as this was the blood money of one man at that time. Abdul Mutlib conducted a draw between Abdullah and ten camels, yet Abdullah's name was drawn. Abdul Mutlib conducted another draw, this time with twenty camels, but still Abdullah's name was drawn. Then ten more were added, for Abdullah's name was drawn once again. Then forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, and ninety, yet every time Abdullah's name would come up. Ultimately, the number of camels reached one hundred, and this time the ballot drawn was of the camels. However, upon this, Abdul Mutlib, for the satisfaction of his heart, drew twice more and both times the camels were drawn. Upon this, 100 camels were slaughtered and Abdullah's life was spared. From this time onwards, among the Quraysh, the blood money of one man was set to 100 camels. Ashabul Fil During the era of Abdul Mutlib, the region of Yemen was ruled by the African sovereignty of Abyssinia which in those days was a center of a powerful dominion. Since Abyssinia was a Christian country, the ruler of Yemen was also Christian. During the time of Abdul Mutlib, the viceroy of Yemen was Abraha al-Hashram. This individual harbored severe enmity against the Kaaba, and in one way or another he desired to sway the people of Arabia from the Kaaba. Thus, in opposition of the Kaaba, he built a place of worship and urged people that instead of the Kaaba, they should come to this place of worship for pilgrimage. How could the Arabian disposition tolerate the existence of any place of worship other than the Kaaba? Thus, it is written that one Arab, overwhelmed by his emotions, relieved his call of nature in this place of worship. When Abraham was informed of this in his rage, he decided to attack Makkah with his forces to annihilate the Kaaba. Hence, he sought permission from Negus, the king of Abyssinia, and proceeded with a very large army. The number of his army is recorded as 60,000 according to various narrations. In any case, his army was composed of thousands. He left Yemen and defeated various Arabian tribes en route until he reached the close proximity of Makkah and set his armies in the outskirts of the city. When the Quraysh were informed of this, they became quite distressed as they knew that they did not possess the power to compete. Therefore, they sent Abdul Mutlib to Abrahad as a delegate. His respectable appearance and high intellect embossed a great impression upon Abraham, who treated him with great esteem and instructed his interpreters to ask Abdul Mutlib what he desired. Abdul Mutlib, who had perhaps planned his discourse beforehand, said, Your army has seized my camels. I wish for them to be returned to me. Abraham returned his camels to him, but his initial impression of Abdul Mutlib's dignity and intelligence began to fade, and he mocked him, saying, I have come here to destroy your Gaba, but you have exhibited no concern. You care only for your camels. Abdul Mutlib, in a manner of inattention, said, I am the owner of these camels alone, thus my concern is with them. However, there is also an owner of this house, who shall himself protect it. When Abraham heard this response, he was immensely vexed and responded, All right, 
I shall see how the owner of this house stops me from it. Therefore he advanced with his forces. But due to divine intervention, as soon as Abraham's elephant was turned in Makkah's direction to march forward, it refused to move. Even after tremendous struggle, it did not advance. After this, his forces were struck by such a calamity as the entire army became the victual of birds. Narrations allude to the elaboration of this occurrence in the manner that when this army attempted to advance towards Makkah in accordance with divine supremacy, they were swarmed with a, by a flock of birds that carried fragments of poisonous dirt in their claws. Whomsoever these fragments fell upon would fall victim to a fatal and contagious disease similar to that of smallpox. When this disease was first contracted, it spread with immense rapidity. This occurrence should not spur shock as contagious diseases in many instances spread through fragments of dirt or other means. Hence, it is quite possible that these birds had flown from a region that was infected by the bacteria of a contagious disease, and on account of this, a fatal disease similar to smallpox spread throughout the army. Therefore, with relevance to Abraha, it is particularly mentioned that he contracted such a disease by which flesh fell off in pieces. This occurrence is mentioned in the Holy Quran in the following words. Hast thou not seen how thy Lord dealt with the people of the elephant? Did he not cause their plan to miscarry? And he sent against them swarms of birds, which would strike them against stones of clay, and thus made them like broken straw eaten up. This attack of Abraham in history is renowned as the attack of Ashabul Fil, meaning the attack of the people of the elephant. This is because there was one elephant, or on the basis of various narrations, many elephants in Abraham's army. Since the elephant was a strange and new creature to the Garash of Mecca, and they had never seen it before. Not only did they title the invaders as the Ashabul Fil, they even named that particular year the Amul Fil. By the destruction of Ashabul Fil, the honor of the Kabatullah and all of the Quraysh increased significantly, and the other tribes of Arabia began to look upon the Quraysh with even greater reverence and respect. Abdullah's Marriage a few months preceding the occurrence of the Ashabul Fil, Abdul Muslim married off his son Abdullah with Amna bint Wahab, who was an exceedingly noble girl of an respected family in the tribe of the Banu Zuhra of the Quraysh. At that time, Abdullah was 25 years of age, or in light of certain narrations 17 years of age. At this occasion, Abdul Mutlib himself also married a cousin of Amna named Hala bint Wahab. Hamza was born of this very Hala. Abdullah's Demise After his marriage, Abdullah did not receive much respite by the Lord's measure. Thus, a short period afterwards, when he traveled to Syria for the purpose of trade, he fell ill on his return and stayed in Yathrib and it is there that he passed away. He was buried in the midst of his relative tribe, the Banu Najr. At that time, his wife Amna was expecting. The inheritance left by Abdullah for his child, who was still in the womb of his mother, is worthy of mention. Five camels, a few she-goats, and a slave named Ummi Ayman. When Abdul Mutlib was informed of the illness of his son, Abdullah. He immediately dispatched his eldest son, Harith, to Medina in order to collect Abdullah. However, when Harith reached Medina, Abdullah had already passed away. 
he returned home and informed his old father that your dear son has passed on from this world of transience. At that time, the grief by which Abdul Mutlib was struck can only be imagined. But even greater was the grief felt by Amna's heart, whose husband, far away from home, just after his marriage, left behind the scar of his departure. Newly wed girls of a tender age who naturally possess a greater amount of modesty and shame are unable to express their emotions of grief and pain in such instances. Hence, they are forced to bear this grief within. From this one can only attempt to comprehend the pain Hazrat Amina was forced to bear. However, the solace of God arrived swiftly to Amna's support. Thus, during these days, Amna saw a dream in which a son was born to her, and in this very dream it was told to her that her child was to be named Muhammad. Moreover, she also saw a dream that an immensely illuminate light came forth from within her and disseminated to far-off lands.